Welcome to the Next Level Youth Podcast. Here you will find sermons and content from Next Level Youth. We meet every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at the Palace of Praise Church. We hope this content challenges and encourages you in your walk of faith. Let's grow in Christ together. You've been way back, way back in the day, on August 2nd, 2023, a long, long time ago, so long ago, uh, I preached a sermon called Co-Labors. Anybody remember that? Anybody at all? Um, well, tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a sermon that's, that's kind of like um, its brother. They're brothers, they're homies, um, they go together, in a sense, very similar in nature, um, but I believe that God wants to give you a broader scope of what God desires for you and from you. And that's a lot what Co-Labors was about. Um, and if you weren't here, if you want to listen to that later, it's on our Next of You podcast. I just put that out there for your uh, benefit. No, nothing more, nothing less. You can search on Spotify, Next of You podcast. It's there. Anyway, it's on Apple Music, a few other places. But... Um, in the sermon co-labors, quickly, I'll just tell you, like, it was a sermon that was talking about how God has something specifically that he wants you to join him in doing. He has something that he wants you to accomplish with him on this earth. He has a field for you to work in. It's his field, his plow, his seed. He wants you to work with him in accomplishing something and seeing a harvest. And that's what he wants from you. Um, and that's what that sermon was about and here's the thing about tonight, instead of talking about being a co-laborer, we're going to broaden our scope, deepen our scope a little bit. These two things go hand in hand. I'm going to want to talk to you about being a co-ruler, a co-ruler with Christ. Um, you won't respond and be a co-laborer if you don't understand that God is also inviting you. These things go hand in hand, as I've said already, and I won't say again, hopefully. He's also inviting you, firstly, to be a co-ruler, and and I'm going to get into that with you tonight. So let's pray. I'm going to pray just, I know we've prayed a bunch, but we, it's not a filler. This is important. Um, these moments, I submit them to you. Uh, heavy words being said in this place. Uh, I just pray that I would um, drip with your anointing, Holy Spirit, uh, that it would be you speaking, uh, that I would speak in passion and not anger, and if it's anger, let it be righteous anger. And I just pray that you would uh, prepare hearts in this place to hear your word. Uh, people in different places, different walks of life, different uh, places in their faith. And I just pray that tonight that you would speak to them, in spite of me, that you would speak to them. And they, they could grab hold of something that speaks to them where they're at, and that propels them at least towards the future you have for them, and honestly, what you have for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. For the past month or so, there, there are just times where uh, the Holy Spirit will just speak a word. over. Like, I hear this word in my spirit over and over again, and I don't know if you experience that or not. If you don't, it's, it's, it's no slight at all. I'm just telling you how God sometimes speaks to me. And the word he kept, I kept hearing was this word, dominion. I just heard it over and over and over. 
Dominion. And the word dominion is not really a word you hear used all the time. Do you use dominion? Uh, do you use that word often? Probably not, not in 2023. Um, but some other words for dominion, in case you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, some synonyms for that would be, yeah, synonym, not acronym, synonym, boom. Uh, English, thank you, Miss Johnson. Anyway, um, supreme authority, she was my high school English teacher, supreme authority, absolute ownership, supreme authority, absolute ownership, dominion. So I've been thinking a lot about it. I've been praying a lot about it. I've been trying to get positioned to hear what God wants me to say, or wants to speak to me, excuse me. And, and, and sometimes he speaks to me for me, and sometimes he speaks to me for you. Um, and so in doing so, I'm getting somewhere. I stumbled across uh, this podcast that was really deep and very informative, and, and it honestly deepened and broadened my understanding to something that I hadn't really uh, seen in the past, at least not in this full scope, uh, and I'll tell you what that, that podcast was. Who's heard of the Bible Project? Who's heard of Tim Mackey? They do this three-episode, you can find on YouTube, three-episode series about the kingdom of God, all right? The gospel of the kingdom, specifically. It's three parts. It's about an hour and 50 minutes, maybe two hours total. I encourage you to go listen to it. But right smack dab in the middle of this podcast, talking about the gospel of the kingdom, uh, this is what Tim Mackey says. And I don't know if I've ever heard anyone at least put it this way. Um, I don't think it's, I've ever heard it like this. Anyway, he says this. It's a long quote, so hang with me. Humans are the way that God reigns in this world. I'll say it again. Humans are the way that God reigns in this world from the beginning. It was God's plan to share his world with humans and to have his reign, rule, and will be brought about in the world through human beings. And then he goes on to say, there were so few stories in the Bible, so few stories in the Bible where God acts or does anything that doesn't happen through a human. And the truth is this call to, for God to use human beings to bring about and to reign in this world, to have his reign, to have his will be done, to have his rule, this call was extended, this invitation was extended from the beginning of time. And we've been talking a lot about that these past few months, haven't we? Talking about the garden, talking about the beginning. But this, this started in the beginning. This invitation in Genesis 1, I'll read it fast, 26 through 30. I just want to prove it to you quickly. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have, there's that word, dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. Every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Dominion. Over the earth, God's invitation to use Adam and Eve and mankind after that to establish his reign, his rule, his will 
on the earth. But what do they do? They reject it. They reject this invitation. They decide to go their own way. They decide, I'm not going to submit to what you have for me, God. We're going to do what we want to do, and that's what they do. And then you read through the story of the Bible. What do we see? We see Noah in the ark, and we see God start over. And then we see God call a man named Abram, formerly known, or also later known as Abraham. And God says, I'm going to establish a nation through you, Abraham. Leave your homeland. I'm going to establish a nation through you. And through his lineage comes Israel. And what does Israel do? God's plan for Israel was to establish his rule, his reign, and his will on the earth. To establish dominion through them as an example for the whole world. And what does Israel do time and time and time again? If you don't know the story of the Bible, that's okay. Brief overview. But Israel rejects it. They reject doing things God's God's way and ruling God's way. They reject it and they go their own way. Are you tracking with me so far? Then the Old Testament tells us, okay, Israel... You, you, you don't have this thing put together. We're going somewhere. Hang with me. Look at your neighbor and say, hang with them. Hang with them. The Old Testament prophets tell us Israel's rejected God as king. They want to do things their own way. They won't listen to me. But it's okay. I got a plan. And that plan is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then what do we see in the New Testament? We see the arrival of Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus Christ proclaim when he gets here, when he arrives? When his earthly ministry starts first, before his earthly ministry ever starts, John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for the Messiah, said this, Matthew 3, verse 2. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here, it's near, it's among you. He's arrived. Then in Matthew 4, 17, what does Jesus say? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's staring you in the face. The king is here. The king is here. And this was the message that Jesus preached more than any other message. It's not the most popular message. It's not the most talked about message that Jesus preached, but this was, the G- this was the message that Jesus proclaimed over and over and over and over and over again. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. I am here. You're like, what's the kingdom? Quick definition. It's something that's, that's hard to get a hold of, and I'm trying to help you if you don't have a deep understanding of it. That's okay. The best definition I've, I've heard is this. What is the definition of God's kingdom? We've covered some of this, but just a few, a small, short phrase. The kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. God reign, God's reign through God's people over God's place. <coughs> what is Jesus saying? Jesus is staring people in the face. And he's saying, the king is here, and I'm here to start to reestablish my kingdom here on the earth. I'm here. I'm here to begin this process of taking back over. I'm here to welcome people into my rule, in my reign. I'm here to welcome people into living for a kingdom they cannot see, but one that lasts forever. I'm here. I'm here to make a way 
And that's what he did. Jesus came to redeem us from the kingdom of darkness and welcome us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. That's what he did. Through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus paid and paved the way for us to give our life to him. And when we do that, when we submit ownership, when we submit ownership and say, God, you are now the supreme authority of my life. You have dominion. When we do that, we, what we're doing is saying, my life is no longer mine. It's yours. I'm no longer of this world. I'm of your kingdom. I no longer live for things that are just seen, that I can see, that don't last. I live for things that last forever. Are you tracking with me? So now Jesus is welcoming people to give up dominion over their life. To make him the supreme authority, the absolute owner. And then what does he say? What does he commission us as he leaves the earth? What's he say? What's he telling the people as he commissions them? He says, go and proclaim the gospel. Go and preach the good news. Go and build the kingdom. That's what he says. So he, Israel drops the proverbial mantle. Are you tracking with me? They drop the mantle. Adam and Eve drop it. Israelites drop it. Now Jesus offers to everyone, will you pick up the mantle? Will you let me reign in your life? And will you help me establish my dominion on this earth before I fully come and bring judgment and justice? Will you do that? That's the invitation. Are you with me? Jesus didn't just come to save us from something. I say this a lot. But there are 45-year-old people who don't get it. There are people who sit in church all the time. They either haven't heard it or they don't get it. Jesus didn't just come to save us from something. He came to save us for something. For his kingdom, for his way. A way that brings true life, true fulfillment. The way of life that leads to life that lasts forever. This was the message of Jesus. And this was also, as I said, this was the message that got him killed. Jesus didn't get killed because he said, hey, you should love your neighbor. They didn't kill Jesus for that. They killed him because he said, there's a new kingdom. And I'm the king. And they couldn't even help but deny it as they wrote it on the cross above his head. Jesus, king of the Jews. Anyway. Are you still with me? Okay, sweet. The central text of the sermon that will dictate the rest of the night comes from Luke 17, just two verses, 20 and 21. I'm being very calm, and I feel led to be calm because I know, I know what lies ahead, and I, I uh, kind of like a couple weeks ago, I'm trying to stay calm because I feel like I'm supposed to. This message of the kingdom was a message that absolutely stumped a group that we talk about a lot for good reason because they get mentioned a lot. Who? The Pharisees. The Pharisees just can't get a hold of this message that Jesus is proclaiming. And we see these verses, verses 20 and 21. This isn't the first time that the Pharisees asked Jesus a similar question. Our central text, Luke 17, 20 and 21, we'll read it together. Being asked by the Pharisees, Jesus being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. 
Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The Pharisees were staring the king right in the face. They talked to him, they'd heard him teach, and they couldn't get it through their head exactly what he was saying. And they couldn't understand what was going on because the Pharisees had already had an expectation of who this Messiah that the Old Testament prophets were talking about. They already had an expectation of who he would be, and Jesus was nothing like that. The Pharisees thought that Jesus was going to come and establish a literal physical kingdom on the earth to save the earth. That's how Jesus was going to come. He was going to come. He was going to declare, I'm king, I'm ruler. And he was going to declare war. And he was going to overthrow the government. And he was going to reestablish a kingdom on this earth. That's what they thought. That's what they expected. But Jesus went about it differently. He went about it the way he went about it in Genesis 1, the way he went about it in the Old Testament as he says, Israelites, will you let me be your God? He goes about it the same way, except this time he extends the invitation to Jew and Gentile, to everyone. Are you still tracking with me? Lots of Bible tonight. Don't apologize for it. So because of their expectations, because he was different, they refused to fail to see that the spiritual kingdom they were waiting for has already been established. That people were le- literally leaving the kingdom of darkness and joining the kingdom of light. That once they went this way and now they repented, repent, they turned and went the other way and started being followers, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Jesus spreading his rule through people, in people, then through people. That's the plan, right? Jesus wants to establish dominion in you, then through you. That's the plan. And as they stand there, staring Jesus in the face, they can't get it, and this message didn't resonate with them. It didn't resonate. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't resonate with a lot of people. Even people that wear the t-shirt, people that sit in the church every week, it doesn't resonate with them. They don't don't get a grasp on this, and it's really not all their fault. Maybe it is, maybe they just can't see. And I'm getting ahead of myself, we're getting there. This This is the call of Christ. We read later on. Luke 17, 33, a few verses down, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, whoever loses his life will keep it. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. What is that calling for? Surrender. Death to self. He communicates a similar message throughout the Gospels, but in Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus said to the crowd this time, first time disciples, at least it was later on, but Luke 17, disciples, Luke 9, the crowd If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. My fear is, and I'm talking to you here, and I'm talking, this is different for me. This, where I'm headed is so different. Um, but my fear is, is that 
many people in this community, in this state, nation, even the world, occupy churches every Sunday just as blind as the Pharisees. Just as blind. And I'm here to help open your eyes, hopefully. People not understanding the invitation of Christ is full surrender. It's death. It's literally turn. It's literally 180. The call of Christ is to literally flip your world upside down to change the way you view everything, to change the way you do everything, to change what you live for, who you live for. He wants to change everything. He wants full surrender. He wants complete and total death to self. He wants new ownership over your body. He wants it all. He wants all of you. But this is costly. And it's weighty. But that's what Christ calls us to. So why did the Pharisees and why do people... I'll just... We'll shift it. Not the Pharisees. We'll leave them behind for a little bit. Why do people... Why do they not understand this message? Two reasons why. Either this, they either never heard it or seen it in action, or they've heard it and seen but failed to understand. The Pharisees failed, they seen it, they heard about it, failed to understand. I believe a lot of people's problem is the former rather than the latter. They've never heard it and or they've never seen it in action. I want to unpack this for the rest of the night. I have to be fast. And I'm going to say some things, and if if you don't get it, please don't worry about it. This might not be for everyone. Hopefully you've gotten something so far. The church has, has failed you. And I'm talking about the capital C church. I'm not just sitting here talking about the palace of praise. We fall short. That's, that's not the point. Hear me out. The church has failed. The people who are supposed to be stewards of this message have failed. They failed us. In the broader scope of things, when you have a worldview and you have a bigger perspective than Popper Bluff, palace of praise, the church has failed. And it's up to you and me, it's up to you and me to fix it. It's up to you and me to pick up a mantle and to change things. Three big things that I'll end the night with, all right? Here's the question I have. Why did the church fail? And why, here's number one, what gospel did people who fill churches week after week respond to? What gospel did they respond to? Please, please try to hang with me. What gospel? Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, he tells us to repent. He tells us to surrender our life. He says, come and die. He says, come and burn. This is the gospel. Full submission, full death. Or did people respond to a counterfeit gospel? A cheap gospel that doesn't talk about the cost that only talks about the benefits. A 
a cheap gospel, and there's a time for this, but we have to be careful when we just say it's as easy as ABC, one, two, three, raise your hand, repeat after me. There's a time, there's a place, I'm not saying that never works, but I'm just telling you, if that's the message communicated, that it's so easy that all you have to do is confess, and you'll be saved. That's cheap. It's cheap. Let it not be the gospel that comes out of our mouth. Let us not talk about Jesus and act like it's easy. Salvation's a free gift, but it costs you everything. The gospel, salvation isn't just fire insurance. It's not. It's way bigger than that. It doesn't just say, hey, if you don't want to go to hell, you need to know Jesus. It's way bigger than that. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But it's not like you can just pay a payment, say a prayer, and you're covered. It's not how it works. It's not State Farm. The church has preached a low expectation gospel. Low expectations. Pray a prayer. Throw in some money when you feel like it. Come to church when you feel like it. No big deal. Try your best. Jesus loves you. It's way deeper than that. It costs way more than that. God has better for you than that. It's no wonder people reject the gospel if this is the gospel they've heard. It's powerless. has no effect. And the people that proclaim it live powerless lives. No wonder. No wonder we find ourselves where we find ourselves. The church has failed as a whole. I read nowhere in this book where Christ communicated a cheap gospel. I read nowhere in this book, it's fine, where Jesus tells us to preach a cheap, easy gospel. He didn't preach that. Only God knows how many people have responded to a false powerless gospel and have wondered why nothing changed. Only God knows how many people have responded to a false, powerless gospel and have wondered why nothing changes. I wrote that down today. I was just bawling, thinking about that. I prayed a prayer. Nothing happened. Cheap, powerless, easy gospel. Christ doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. Christ doesn't just want to dictate some of what you do. He wants to dictate everything you do. Number two, the church has failed because the church has made individuals internally minded. Internally minded. We've thought too much just about ourselves, just about the people sitting in the church. I'll explain. Too many pastors, too many people conveying the gospel have proclaimed, they have not proclaimed this high call of Christ, this deep call. Instead, we've cultivated an attitude of come be an attender. Come serve once a month. The church is content with that. 
You go to a bunch of churches across this nation right now, they'll be really happy with you if you fill out an invite card, you attend a class, you join a life group that meets once every month, and then you serve once a month, you're, you're gold. Low expectation, cheap cost. God has more for you than that. The church is taking on this attitude that we're going to do the heavy lifting for you. We're going to hear from God on your behalf. We'll pray for you on your behalf. And then you go and you chase what you want to chase. You do what you want to do. You chase the American dream, but we got your back. We're cheering you on. You come back next week, we'll pump you up. Don't worry about it. We got you. Instead of propelling people to proclaim the gospel, what we've done is we're content to tell you just to invite your unsafe friends to church. Just bring them here. This is the expectation of the church as a whole. Bring them here. We'll get them saved. Don't worry. If you don't understand the, how to lead someone to Christ, if you don't know the God, don't worry about it. We got you. Low expectation. Low cost, internally minded. You get them here, we'll take care of saving them. That's not the call of Christ. The church has cultivated in people a we've got it mentality, not empowered them, propelled them to go towards individual responsibility and mission, to be a co-ruler, to go establish kingdom. The church is content with drawing attenders instead of empowering kingdom builders. Those iPhone 15 is probably going to uh, be consumed by fire later tonight. Um, it's the Lord or it's faulty uh, mechanics, I don't know. Pray about it, maybe it'll tell you. Number three, maybe it'll tell you which one it was. Uh, number three, the church itself has become itself. Now, he's, the church has gotten people to think about themselves and to just think about the church, like get people here, we'll take care of you. But the church has also become internally minded on their own. All they really do is, uh, as a whole, too many people, all they're thinking about is, is themselves, growing themselves, bringing people into themselves. Let me explain a little bit. This sermon is super happy and everybody loves it. I know you're just full of joy. Um, the church has become more about keeping the attenders happy, less concerned about propelling people to mission, less concerned about propelling people to build the church outside the four walls, more concerned with keeping attenders happy. It's no wonder the church has lost influence around us. People say, why has the church lost influence? This is why. Powerless gospel, powerless people, come be a part of what we're doing. We don't go to you, you come to us mentality. If we don't call people to give God full dominion of their life, if we don't let God have dominion on what goes on inside our four walls, why in the world... Why in the world would we think that we have dominion out there? Why? If God doesn't have dominion over his so-called people, his so-called church, no dominion out there, no influence. Are you with me? Three of you maybe? 
This is what's happened. You're going to love this. You're going to love it. Almost done, Lord willing. Since the church has lost its influence in the world, a different organization has stepped up to take care of what the church is supposed to take care of. You know what that organization's called? The government. The government. Why am I preaching this to students? I, I ask myself the same thing, and this is why I know. I know that God is illuminating these things, so you, one, don't live this way, and two, you are empowered to change these things. Hear me out. The people have settled as a whole in America, for sure, to let the government do the things that God called the church to do. We're content with just griping about how bad a job they do and praying for some new person to step up and take care of it. If we can just get a president or a governor or a senator, if we can get the house taken back, then maybe we can do some godly things in this country. And so we just let the government do what God actually called the church to do, and we gripe and we moan about it and wait on someone else to fix it. The church is supposed to take care of the widows. Who takes care of the widow? The government. The church is supposed to take care of the fatherless and the motherless. Who takes care of that? The government. Do I need to keep going? The church is supposed to take care of the poor. Read the book. Read about the kingdom. Who takes care of the poor? The government. The, ter- the, the, the church lets the world dictate rites of passage that say, when you're a man or, you're, or, or whatever, we let the world dictate that. You turn 13, you turn 16, you get these privileges, these privileges. That's the only marker for a rite of passage that tells someone they've matured. The government, we even let the government take care of that and tell us if we're an adult or not. We even let the government do that. Maybe that's just personal. Anyway, who is this like? Who's the church like today, just like Israel? I'll, I'll prove it to you quickly. What did Israel do? Moses delivers Israel out of Egypt. God wants to speak to the Israelites. What do the Israelites settle with? Hey, Moses, you go up the mountain. You do the hard work. You stay up there for 40 days, hear what God has to say. You don't eat for 40 days. We're not interested. You hear from Him. You come tell us, Kapash. Is that not what we do? You come to church every week. Well, I hope the pastor's got a word for me today. I hope Zach heard from the Lord this week. I need a word. Go up the mountain. He wants to speak to you. You don't need me to feed you. Do you understand that? I'm called to be your shepherd. I'm called to bring you bread from the heaven. Like I get it. You don't need me. That's what people do. And then they leave the church. Well, the pastor's just not only speaking to me anymore. Bro, you've been in church for 30 years, bro. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Almost done. Good God. They wanted Moses, then what did they want? Almost done. They wanted a king. 1 Samuel 8, go read it. Go read it. 1 Samuel 8, it'll make you mad. Go read it. 
Go read about it. I don't got time to read it. What's Israel do? They come to Samuel the prophet. Hey, hey, they say, hey, we want a king. We want a king like everybody else. And Samuel's like, I don't know about that. Let me go talk to God. God's like, Samuel, they rejected me as king. If they want a king, give it to them. But then you go tell them exactly what's going to happen. So Israel goes and they inherit a promised land, right? God says, you have this land, you have this land, you have this land. They conquered it. They did what God did, right? But what do they do? They surrender that for a king. What does Samuel say? He says, you're going to have a king. He's going to take your best land. He's going to take your best women. He's going to take your best food. He's going to do all this. You're going to owe him all of this. You don't have to go this way. You could just submit to God's kingship and know that he's got your back and you can reign and rule with him. But no, what do they say? No, no, Samuel. No, God. We want a king. We want a king to fix it. We want a king to fight on our behalf. Kind of sound like people that that want a president to fix all their problems. Well, maybe in 2024 it'll get fixed. Hello? We're supposed to establish kingship, dominion, kingdomship all the time until Christ comes back does, regardless of who's in charge. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Some of y'all's parents would pop me in the mouth. They heard me say some of that. That's okay. You can tell them about it. They can come talk to me later. Hmm. I love you, parents, if you can hear me. I'm done. I close with this. Remind you, this is God's plan, and it's up to us to fix it. It's up to us to fix it. It's up to you. Hear me. Hear the call of Christ. Christ called you to a higher calling than church attending, than slipping your hand up once, once a week. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord. Hope I can come back next week and feel Him again. Oh... I feel real good about myself. I serve kids church once a month. Oh. Hey, all that stuff's good. I'm not dogging it. I'm just saying there's more. God's asked us to be co-rulers and we take dominion. And like, look at the life of Christ. You either love Christ or you hated him. Like there was no in-between. Sinners were attracted to him. The religious ran off and despised him. You tracking with me? I'm wrapping up in prayer. You hear me right now? Like if no one can tell you're any different than anyone else, you're doing it wrong. God doesn't have full dominion over you and it's no wonder the gospel you're living in is powerless. You haven't given him your life. You don't understand that he wants to empower you to go out and build his kingdom where literally wherever you walk, you have dominion. You start getting closer to Christ. You go home to a hostile family, a hostile situation where the devil's in charge. What are you going to see? You're going to see a fight because now there's a power struggle. There's a power struggle in the house. The devil was cool with you when you were just doing that casual church attender thing. You start to press in. You start to die. Get ready for a fight. Devil, he, he don't want it. 
Oh, no, no. I used to have dominion over that room. Now, now somebody else does. Some of y'all are with me. I told you this wasn't for everybody, but do you hear me? The gospel is not powerless. It's powerful. God didn't just call you to attend church. He called you to build a kingdom. You go out and lift kingdom call, and Christ will draw people to himself. We build the kingdom. Christ builds the church. Christ builds the church. Would you stand with me? Christ is coming back. We should be talking about it. Christ talked about it. We should study the end times. We should know some things. But let me tell you something. If, if the church cowers down in fear, awaiting for a king to come and rescue them and lets a world die and go to hell as we are internally focused, shame on us. Shame on us. If you really believe Jesus is coming back next week, are you going out talking? Are you calling your family that doesn't know Christ? Are you thinking about the people in your family who don't know Christ? Are you thinking about a friend of yours whose mom and dad doesn't know Christ? Because when Christ comes back, sure, we get to go, but a lot of people, guess what's left for them? Judgment. Is that what we want? Every day that Christ doesn't come back is a day for dominion to be established. Every day. Every day. Let's not stop till he comes back. The church got content and they stopped. If they didn't stop, the gospel would already be spread to the four corners of the earth. And it's not, and that's why he's not come back. That was free. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.